welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 76. Thanks for listening. 76, as in uh, 1776, when our country, being the United States, declared independence from England and set us down the path towards eventually getting Donald Trump as president. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about the 4th of July, which is coming up. But, you know, there's fireworks and bratwurst and beer, so things aren't all bad. How's everybody doing, guys? We're deep in the sticky, humid nether regions of summer at this point, and life is good, I guess? Oh, but not so good if you're a Doctor Who fan. Well, it's good in the sense that, as I record this, last night was the finale of Season 10, Series 10, of Doctor Who, and it was awesome! For those of you who haven't gotten to seen it yet, who are so inclined to watch it, I'll try not to say too much, other than, oh my god, it's awesome! Uh, last week I said that part one of the two-part finale, The World Enough in Time, which I, I kept mangling the title, but it was The World Enough in Time, it was great, it was creepy and weird, and the Mondasian Cybermen were back, and Missy and the Master, it was a multi-master story, for the first time ever. That was cool. Well, this week, we got all of that stuff, plus, like, an epic war story. And, well, part war story, part sort of 1960s spaghetti western kind of lone gunman saving the town in a doomsday scenario kind of story. It was great. There were surprises that aren't technically surprises because they've unofficially been leaked, but I won't talk about them here, other than to say that the episode was great. If you're not a Doctor Who fan, please become one so that you can start uh, emailing and tweeting at me about Doctor Who because as much as I love Atari, I love Doctor Who uh, a lot also and I would like to talk to somebody about that because the people in my household are tolerant of my Doctor Who fixation, but they are not necessarily on board with it. So if any of you out there are, you know, hit me up and we can chat about Doctor Who. I'm a little sad. This is Capaldi's, Peter Capaldi's final run as the Doctor, and these last episodes make, were making it very clear that, hey guys, this is the end, uh, and it all comes to a final end on Christmas Day, in the Christmas special. Uh, I don't think they've released the title of that yet, but that's where he will give his final bow as my personal favorite Doctor. It's always hard when a Doctor changes, and you always think, well, I'm not going to like the new one, and then of course you do. But, you know, change is hard. And do I want Compaldi to go? Well, let me quote the man himself. In other news, there is no other news of note this week. There are, you know, things happen in politics and world events and sports and things, but we're here to talk about Atari. Well, actually, just the other news is, hold on, I'm going to correct myself midstream here. I think earlier I said that all that stuff about nether regions and whatnot, I think I said that it was June. Of course, it's not June anymore. As I record this, it is July 2nd, so those nether regions are even stickier now. Ew. All right, I'm moving on from that image. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, as iconic as Doctor Who is, there's another icon in the news right now. Uh, Spider-Man. 
He's got a new movie out, Spider-Man Homecoming, I believe comes out July 7th. It looks good. I, I think they're trying for an old school kind of Spider-Man, sort of taking what they tried to do with Tobey Maguire, sort of the young nerdy type Spider-Man, uh, except they're even going more authentic because I think the guy playing him now is a legit teenager. I don't think Tobey Maguire was. I think he was slightly older, maybe playing a teenager at the time. I think this guy actually is, at least in the commercials and the trailers, he uh, strikes me more as a teenager than Maguire did. Although I really did like the uh, Maguire Spider-Man movies. The uh, Andrew Garfield movie, uh, not so much. But I did like uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And I'm looking forward to the new one. Uh, I think it looks funny and uh, sort of true to the character. I'm not a rabid superhero guy, but I've always kind of liked Spider-Man. So I'm looking forward to that movie. And I thought in you know celebration of the new movie coming out, this week we would play this game. Spider-Man from Parker Brothers, 1982. I never played this one as a kid. That's uh, sort of a running theme on the show. Uh, I think, I'm, I may be wrong, I think at this point in the production of the podcast, we've played pretty much every game that I played as a kid. I thought I had a lot of Atari games as a kid. I have, as i gotten into this podcast, discovered that I was totally naive about that. I did have a fair number of cartridges, but I did not have, I was barely scratching the surface of what was out there. And I think at this point in the podcast, I'm only pretty much only playing games that I've never played before until now, and a lot of them that I'd never heard of until looking for games to do for the show and listening to other uh, retro gaming podcasts talking about these different games. And that's exciting to me. This is one I probably heard of as a kid and probably wanted, but never, for whatever reason, ever got or played. I got it several months ago and played a little bit at that time. Uh, and it was kind of fun. Henry, an occasional contributor to the show, uh, played it at that time. Uh, and he liked it. So, and I've been kind of saving it for now, uh, knowing that the Spider-Man movie was coming out. So, how do you play Spider-Man for the Atari N-Series video game systems? Well, I'll tell you. Because I happen to have an actual paper manual right here. I don't have that many of those. So when I do have one, it's very exciting because I'm a nerd. All right, so you open up the manual, and first thing you get is a little illustration of the man, the Spider-Man himself, dangling from a, a web, and he says, <coughs> in my, this is my best Spider-Man voice, New York City, at the mercy of the Green Goblin. He's booby-trapped the city skyscrapers with super bombs. I must save the city now, but the Goblin will try to stop my every move. Criminals and time bombs, even the Green Goblin himself. Stand between me and the super bombs. Can I save the city in time? Did I sound like an awkward teenager suddenly turned superhero in that scene? I did? Sweet. Alright, Spider-Man Homecoming Part 2. If you need a new Spider-Man, call me up. I'm 40-something, but I can stuff myself into a Spider-Man costume. Sure. Give me a call. I'll give you a good rate for my acting. We can talk, really. Anyway... The object of the game is to defuse as many super bombs as possible and to score the most points along the way. I will tell you right now, spoiler, in the field report, 
I think I only got to the super bomb once and ended up falling to my death instead of defusing any sort of bombs. So, yeah. Spoiler for that, but we'll get to that later. To select the game number, press down this game slider. Oh, you know how to do that. Game reset starts the game, obviously. Using the joystick controller for this one. Make sure you plug the joystick controllers firmly into the jacks. Uh, using the left controller for one-player game. Are there any games... A little bit of Atari trivia. Are there any one-player games where you only have the option to play with one player, but you use the right controller and and not the left controller? I think there are, there's... Seems like I did one on the podcast where you use the right joystick and then well, maybe with Star Raiders, and then you had the uh, touchpad plugged into the other port. Might have been the other way around, but but you had two things, and that's why you can only use one controller. But is there ever has there ever been an Atari game where you only use one joystick and you had to plug it into the right controller and nothing was plugged into the other slot? Oh, just kind of curious. Use the joystick and red fire button to move Spider-Man up the side of the skyscraper. First, press the fire button, then push the joystick controller up to the left or the right. A line of web fluid will shoot up or diagonally to the left or right, depending on the direction you move the controller. You shoot a web down to move Spider-Man down the building, but only after you've moved Spider-Man up the building from that starting position. So, in other words, you can't, like, your first action can't be to, you know, send Spider-Man down into his subway tunnels. Although, how cool would that be? Release the fire button at the desired web length. The web line goes from short by quickly releasing the button and controller at the same time to long by pressing the button and holding the controller in one direction until the web line stops. Once you shoot a web, you can lengthen or shorten it by pushing the joystick controller up or down. You can also cancel the web before moving Spider-Man by quickly pressing and releasing the fire button. Once you've made your web line, use the controller to move Spider-Man up the skyscraper. If the web line is directly above Spider-Man, move the joystick controller up. Spider-Man will make a vertical climb up to the end of the web line. If the web line is diagonal to Spider-Man, he'll swing back and forth at the end of the line until you move the joystick controller up. Spider-Man will then swing up to the end of the line. During a climb, you can stop Spider-Man before he reaches the end of the web line by quickly pressing and releasing the fire button. The end of the web line must land on the building, not on a window, or the tower. If it lands on a window, or on any portion of the sky, Spider-Man will fall. To catch him, shoot another web fast. Which I always forget to do when Spidey falls. I'm mostly just horrified at knowing that when he gets to the bottom, he'll just, you know, sort of plop there. It, it actually is kind of gross. He just goes... <laughs> His little legs and arms flop. It's kind of creepy. But I'm so preoccupied with that image that I forget that I could just shoot another web and save myself. Um, there's an illustration of the tower and the skyscraper. It's, it's a, a skyscraper with a big high-voltage tower on top, which seems incredibly unsafe building design to me. But hey, I'm not an architect. This illustration... Here, look. Can anyone, everyone see in the back? Okay. This illustration shows the entire skyscraper and its high-voltage tower that Spider-Man must climb to get to the super bomb. This view is given for information only. Bold print. You will never see everything pictured here at the same time on your screen. Instead, as Spider-Man advances up the building or falls down to the street, you'll see sections of what is shown here. All right. Oh, and here uh, the Green Goblin wants to talk. Let's see what your superhero powers can do against me, Spider-Man. I'm far more dangerous than you think, web-slinger. And scene. You'll start the game with three Spider-Men. The first one is shown on the side of the building, ready to begin the climb to the top. The re remaining Spider-Men are shown at the lower left-hand corner of the screen. Each Spider-Man has only a limited amount of web fluid, which decreases with time. That's the story for every dude, isn't it? The web fluid is monitored by the red line located in the lower right-hand corner of the screen. To gain web fluid, Spider-Man must capture criminals and bombs. 
If Spider-Man's web fluid runs out, he'll fall. The game then continues with a new Spider-Man. It's like Doctor Who in a way. Doctor gets old and tired and falls out, then he just regenerates into a new Doctor. If you can't tell, I'm a little preoccupied with Doctor Who right now. Seriously, the world enough in time and the Doctor falls are amazing! Anyway, back to Spider-Man. Scaling the building. When the tune starts to play, Spider-Man starts his mission on the side of the first skyscraper. But watch out for the criminals. Their job is to stop Spider-Man from reaching the high voltage tower. The criminals will randomly pop up in windows. If Spider-Man's web line crosses a criminal, the criminal will cut the web, causing Spider-Man to fall. Shoot another web fast or you'll lose the Spider-Man. However, Spider-Man can capture the criminals by crossing his body over them. For every criminal captured, you earn 30 points. And Spider-Man gets more web fluid. Once Spider-Man moves to the top of the building, he's faced with some tricky maneuvering to scale the high-voltage tower. Remember, if Spider-Man's web lands on any part of the sky, he'll fall. He's also faced with another danger on the high-voltage tower. Time bombs planted by the Green Goblin. The time bombs count down toward explosion, changing from black to red. Spider-Man can defuse a bomb by crossing his body over it, because that makes sense. For every black bomb he defuses, you earn 50 points. For every red bomb, 80 points, and Spider-Man gets more web fluid too. But if Spider-Man's web crosses a bomb, or if a bomb explodes near Spider-Man, he'll fall. Shoot another web fast, or you'll lose this Spider-Man. I'm a little confused where the high voltage part of high voltage tower comes in. Let's read on and find out. The Green Goblin doesn't want Spider-Man to capture his criminals or defuse the time bombs. Whiner. So he's decided he'll make Spider-Man's mission even harder. He's set limits on how many criminals and time bombs, red or black, he'll let Spider-Man capture but he won't tell what those limits are. If Spider-Man captures too many criminals and time bombs, the Green Goblin will start the timer on this super bomb. As you move Spider-Man up the building, listen closely. When you hear a low-pitched sound that only dogs can hear, so if you can hear it, I'd be worried. That means the timer has started on the super bomb. Get set to move Spider-Man to the super bomb and fast. At the top of the high voltage tower is the super bomb and the Green Goblin. To get to the super bomb, first you'll have to move Spider-Man past the Green Goblin if the goblin touches Spider-Man or any part of his web, Spider-Man will fall. Shoot another web fast and you'll, or you'll lose this Spider-Man. Get Spider-Man past the green goblin and get set to defuse the super bomb. Pass any part of Spider-Man's body over the super bomb before it explodes. And you've defused the super bomb. Again, because that makes sense. You'll earn bonus points equal to the number of points scored while scaling that building and tower. Spider-Man then moves on to the side of another building to begin the action again at a different level. If Spider-Man doesn't defuse the super bomb before it explodes, you'll lose the Spider-Man. However, the action will continue at the base of the same building with a new Spider-Man. And then we have the man himself. My spider sense is tingling. That means there's danger near. The work of Spider-Man is never done. Game difficulty. Each time you defuse the super bomb, you'll hear a short tune. Then the game will continue at a more difficult level with your remaining Spider-Men. The building in a high voltage tower will either increase or decrease in size. See illustration. The web fluid will run out more quickly, and the Green Goblin will move faster and will be anywhere, ready to dog you every step of the way on your mission to defuse the super bomb. Game ends when no Spider-Men are left. To play again, press game reset. There is a two-player game option as well. So that is how you play Spider-Man. The high voltage tower, apparently pretty meaningless. But, you know what? We'll soldier on anyway. As I said, Spider-Man came out from Parker Brothers in 1982 for the Atari 2600. It was the first video game, apparently, to feature Spider-Man and also the first Marvel Comics-based video game. 8-Bit Central, in its review, was excited to find out that Spider-Man made his video game debut on the Atari 2600 and thought that the game plays actually quite well, despite the limited abilities of the 8-Bit game console. This reviewer thought the game looked good. Spider-Man looked good, I agree. He does question whether a jagged black line adequately represents the web, but again, it's an 8-bit game, so you have to use your imagination a little bit. Uh, basically, 8-bit uh, Central thought this was a fun game. 
and I would have to agree. But you know, that's all well and good. Game is fine, but who is this Spider-Man character? Who is this guy in the weird red and blue tights that leaves nothing to the imagination? Except his face. He's got his face covered. That's got to be hot in that mask, by the way. What sort of man puts up with such discomfort in the name of truth, justice, in the American way? Which might actually be Superman's motto, but you know what? Let it go. Spider-Man is a fictional superhero. Sorry, don't mean to ruin it for you. Published by Marvel Comics, obviously. Created by writer, editor, legend, magician, cowboy, wandering troubadour, Stan Lee. And writer-artist Steve Ditko, and first appeared in the anthology comic book Amazing Fantasy No. 15, August 1962, in the Silver Age of comic books. They imagine the character originally as an orphan raised by his Aunt May and Uncle Ben in New York City, and then as a teenager having to deal with the normal struggles of adolescence in addition to those of a costumed crime fighter. They gave him super strength and agility, the ability to cling to most surfaces, shoot spider webs using wrist-mounted devices of his own invention, which he calls web shooters, and he can react to danger quickly with his spider sense. When Spider-Man first came out in the 60s, teenagers in superhero comics were usually the sidekick to the hero, so they broke new ground by making Peter Parker Spider-Man's alter ego, a sort of a nerdy high school student with a secret identity. He did not, you know, unlike other teenage superheroes like Robin, most famously I suppose, Spider-Man didn't have a mentor like uh, Batman, so he had to learn for himself that with great power there must also come great responsibility, which he says his Uncle Ben told him, presumably before making a big batch of rice. Spider-Man has appeared in several comic book series, including uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. And over the years, he's sort of morphed from shy, nerdy New York City high school student to troubled but outgoing college student to married high school teacher to, in the late 2000s, a single freelance photographer. In the 2010s, he joins the Avengers, and of course, the rest is more modern history. Marvel has also published books featuring alternate versions of Spider-Man, including Spider-Man 2099, featuring the Avengers of Miguel O'Hara, the Spider-Man of the future, Ultimate Spider-Man, featuring the adventures of a teenage Peter Parker in an alternate universe, and Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, which depicts the teenager Miles Morales, who takes up the mantle of Spider-Man after Ultimate Peter Parker's supposed death. Spider-Man is totes popular. The character is first portrayed in live action by Danny uh, Cedron in Spidey's Super Stories, an Electric Company skit, which ran from 74 to 77. I remember those. That was like my favorite part of the Electric Company when I was a kid because I was a kid right around the time when Electric Company was a thing for me. Eagle-eared listeners will note that the beginning of the field report include a little snippet of the theme from the Electric Company Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire played Spider-Man in the movies between 2002 and 2007. Andrew Garfield played him 2012-2014. And Tom Holland is the one, I can think of his name before, playing uh, Spider-Man now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He appeared in Captain America Civil War in 2016. Reeve Carney starred as Spider-Man in the 2010 Broadway musical Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. And he's, you know, Spider-Man is just super popular along with Batman and Superman. So there you go. If you were confused about who Spider-Man is, that's who he is. As for the Green Goblin, there have been several versions of that supervillain in comic books. Uh, the first and best known one was Norman Osborn, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko to be the archenemy of Spider-Man. He's a Halloween-themed supervillain whose weapons resemble bats, ghosts, and jack-o'-lanterns. And comics uh, historian Mike Conroy described the Goblin as the most flat-out, unhinged, and terrifying of all the comic book, uh, all the costume villains who have bugged Spider-Man over the years. He's appeared in several films, including 2002's Spider-Man as Norman Osborn and 2007's Spider-Man 3, and 2014's The Amazing Spider-Man 2 as Harry Osborn. Okay, so, after the break, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, 
catches thieves just like flies. Watch out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Where are you coming from, Spider-Man? Nobody knows who you are. Spider-Man, to me, in this game, looks a little bit like the dude from Berserk. Or maybe Pitfall Harry at Halloween. The way he's animated and the way he's shaped. Um, oops, I hit a window. That's very frustrating. Gotta say. I did it again. It's a little frustrating because you can, if you shoot your web fluid and it passes over one of the henchmen, criminal guys, they cut your line and you fall to your, you know, bloody, pulpy death. But if your body passes over a criminal, then you're good. Okay, I caught a criminal, I guess. But it's difficult to know. Alright, I'm at the top. Oh, bomb went off. That was sort of anticlimactic. Oops. Ah! Whoa! All the way from the high voltage. Ooh! Dropping like bags of wet cement. To quote Les Nessman from the iconic Thanksgiving uh, WKRP episode. When you're done with this episode of the podcast, go watch the Thanksgiving episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. I don't care if you're listening to this in June. Uh, it's awesome comedy right there. All right, let's do this again. Since I ran out of fluid and fell to my death. I just like listening to that music, mostly. Um... So in the last game, I didn't mention it, but, oh man, I got up to the high voltage tower, and I was starting to climb onto it when I fell for the last time. It was my last guy. Alright, little criminal. I'm a-coming for you. Man! Little spidey chunks all over the road. Caught me a criminal. Why don't they just call him henchman? In the manual for some reason, they... Oops. I think that might... Yep, that was it. Uh, it's hard out here for a superhero. Too bad they don't pay us better. Now, we should have some NASCAR-type endorsement deals. You know, that Spidey suit could be covered in Pennzoil and Viagra advertising. Yeah, I think I'm onto something. I'm starting my new career as a superhero agent. So, you know, see ya, suckers. Back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about Spider-Man. I like this game. It looks good for all the reasons that I've said so far and you know in the field report and uh, i agree with 8-bit central that it's it's just a fun game I, I mentioned that henry played the game several months ago when i first got it and he liked it too he got a little frustrated with the the bit about how if you shoot the web and it hits the window it's you know the blue parts basically the, which is the window and, or the sky then you fall but otherwise uh, i think we both were in agreement that uh, the game was pretty good I, i'm still not good at the diffusing the bombs part but if I just played a little bit more, I'm sure I would get better. I don't know that once I got better at the game that I would want to keep playing it, because it does seem a little repetitive, but you know, uh, it's a fun little diversion anyway, and I think probably at the time, it was, I, I'm maybe going to tick some people off here, but I think it's probably a better early 1980s superhero game than Superman was for the Atari. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Superman for the Atari, uh, although that was a game that I had as a kid, and played quite a bit because somehow I kept 
expecting it to get better. And I've actually I've done that game on the podcast already. But I think putting these two games side by side, I have more fun with Spider-Man. But superheroes are all you know well and good. Superman, Spider-Man, you know, flying around in their tights and cod pieces and Ripley muscles and whatnot, uh, saving the day and being all moody and uh, aloof and whatnot. But you know, what about those left behind? What about the everyday Joes and Janes just trying to go about their day while, you know, some creepy, you know, probably mentally uh, unstable crime fighter is, you know, laying waste to the metropolis, lowercase m, metropolis, in the name of justice. What about those people? So this story today that I have for you is all about the collateral damage when a superhero shows up. That doesn't get dealt with much in the movies. I'll bet Spider-Man Homecoming doesn't give uh, moments of screen time to the poor people that have to try and go about their jobs in the midst of all this all this chaos. So here's what I think is probably going on, you know, sort of maybe on the, on the other side of the skyscraper while the game is being played. Phil was the window guy. In fact, it said exactly that on his business card. Phil the window guy. The printer screwed up, uh, honestly, and printed... Phil, the porn star, but he gave Phil a discount for the error, uh, so Phil just, you know, crossed out the uh, porn star part with a sharpie and wrote in the window guy, and it seemed to be working fine. Phil is good at cleaning windows. He could crawl up the side of a building faster than, well, faster than you know who. And that's good, because Phil needed to be home on time today. Although Phil was a great window cleaner, he wasn't always a great father. And today was his daughter's ninth birthday. No way was he going to miss little Heather's day. This was her day. He was not going to be late. And that shouldn't be a problem because today's building promised to be easy. A straight shot, 20 stories or so. The windows were wide and uniformly spaced. All he had to do was stay off of the high voltage tower at the top. He wasn't going to make that mistake again. Phil had just recently been able to comb his hair again without electrocuting himself from the last time he screwed up. So he knew better this time. Be in and out, get this job done, and be on his way. As Phil anchored the scaffolding on the roof carefully avoiding the high voltage tower. Shouldn't they put up a sign or something, it seemed? But hey, you know, who was Phil to uh, argue with anybody? But as he was doing this, he was sure that he could hear some sort of weird goblin-esque cackling. And Phil knew his goblins. Trust me. But he supposed it could have been just the wind, or pigeons, those condescending aerial poop factories. Phil and pigeons had a long history of mutual loathing. As he set to work, uh, the first couple floors down the building went smoothly enough. Uh, wax on, wax off. Most window cleaners don't actually wax the windows, but that was, that's what makes Phil special. By the third floor from the top on the west side, Phil was in the zone. A chamois in each hand, moving in tandem on two different office windows. Professional ethics usually kept Phil from looking into his client's windows, but today he couldn't help but notice that in one office, in the accounting division apparently, the occupant uh, was looking desperately for something in the desk drawers. He was dressed all in black, too, not a suit, and he had a mask on. That was weird. Eh, must be casual Friday. In the office under his right hand, a bald, nervous-looking dude was peeing himself, gesticulating wildly, probably just excited about donuts in the break room or something. As Phil lowered the scaffold down another floor, one end suddenly tilted wildly upward. The safety harness Phil wore pulled taut against him, against his chest as he was flung to the other side. A thick-soled boot kicked him in the head as a criminal henchman Scaled the building. Seriously, it's what it said on the back of his t-shirt. Criminalhenchman.com. Which is weird, because in 1982 there was no such thing as a dot-com. Well, that was weird, Phil thought. 
He had nearly managed to level out the scaffold when the green goblin zipped by on his glider, knocking Phil from his scaffold incompletely. Side note, green goblin originally used apparently a flying broomstick, but then that was redesigned into a device that, that was an improved version that he called his goblin glider, capable of great maneuverability and speeds of up to 90 miles per hour. It's capable of supporting about 400 pounds, including uh, Norman Osborne's weight, and for more brief periods, a greater weight. Top speed normal load would exhaust the fuel supply in about one hour. So there you go. Back to the story. So the Green Goblin knocked Phil from his scaffolding completely, and Phil dangled there in midair. Window cleaning can be a dangerous gig, but Phil's a pro, so he didn't panic right away. Might be late for the birthday party, though. He hated to make the call, but Heather was only going to turn nine once, and she deserved to know why her dad couldn't be there. He took out his cell phone and dialed. Heather picked up on the second ring, and Phil, twisting slowly in the wind, froze. Uh, be there in twenty. He said, Okay, Daddy, I love... Heather started to say, but then uh, she said some other stuff that he didn't hear because at that moment, a sticky stream of web fluid knocked the phone from his hand. He watched the phone fall, fall, and then fall some more down to shatter on the sidewalk. He really shouldn't have watched that. The scaffolding dangled just above him. Phil stretched, willing his so far arthritis-free arm to stretch up and just grab a hold of that scaffold and pull himself to safety. But unfortunately, at that moment, the Green Goblin's glider nicked a cable and the scaffolding plummeted to the ground with a huge crash. Phil shouldn't have watched that either. Phil could hear the safety ropes stretching. The daily bag of donuts that he consumed was starting to look like a bad idea. I'm going to die up here. The forbidden panic all good window cleaners shun started to creep up. A dude in blue and red spandex swung past. Hey, little help here, Phil called. But Spidey was too busy with the bad guy. Superheroes were like that. Not thoughtless exactly, just preoccupied. Phil wondered whether superheroing was as hard as window washing. This thought was interrupted by a 180-pound evil henchman landing on his shoulders. Phil thought for sure the extra weight on his harness straps was going to cut him in two. Spider-Man! Phil yelled, the breath being squished out of him. But the web-slinger was too busy defusing a bomb or something. One of the safety lines on his harness frayed and snapped. Just then Phil remembered the window cleaner's secret weapon. The squeegee. Phil pulled the squeegee from the holster on his hip, where all good window cleaners keep it, and held the, uh, the squeegee by the handle straight out in front of himself. He kicked his legs until he had enough momentum to slam himself and his passenger into the side of the building. The metal glide for the rubber blade on the squeegee cracked the window so that it shattered and let Phil and the henchman fly through, just as the final cable in the safety harness snapped. Phil hated to break that window. Well, at least he doesn't get paid by the window. The office occupant was a little bit annoyed to be showered in glass, but she was mostly upset at having her Candy Crush game interrupted. Later, when the henchmen were secured and Webhead had swung away, reporters tried to get an interview with the heroic window cleaner who saved the building. The lure of fame wasn't powerful. Think of all the window cleaning product endorsements he could get. Autographed squeegees. His face on squeegees. His face on chamois. Sponges shaped like him. He did need money for new scaffolding and a safety harness, although perhaps from a different company. But instead, Phil walked away. He left the fame behind and just walked away. He couldn't drive because the goblin had landed on his car and didn't have insurance. Oh well, money comes and goes. But his daughter's birthday? Well, that comes and goes too. The only thing that was forever was a father's love. This was Heather's day, and it should be special. But what to do? A thick squirt of web fluid smacked Phil in the back of the head. Spider-Man's headshot and autograph were attached. Happy birthday, Heather, it said. From your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. 
Woohoo! Father of the year. Phil realized right away what he should do. He was totally going to sell the thing on eBay for enough money to buy a new scaffold. What? What else would he do with it? And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Competech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can email Atari Bytes at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Want to talk to me about Spider-Man, or Doctor Who, or superheroes, or Atari games, or impressionist painters, or whether Phil the Window Cleaning Porn Star would be a good movie, you know, whatever's in your head, spill it out into an email and send it to me. You can find show notes, other episodes, and other links at ataribytes.libson.com, as well as, as in the show notes for this episode, of course, uh, that are on your little podcatcher. You can find the show on Stitcher, Google Play Music, iTunes, and all of that. Of course, you know that already. And when the option is offered, do please, you know, shoot your sticky fluid into iTunes and leave me a review tied up neatly in a little web bag. You can like the show on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Atari Bytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And you can help support the show on our Patreon page and by shopping at our Zazzle.com store, AB underscore pod underscore store. Please do consider doing that. The show is fun and all that, but there are expenses involved. And anything you can do to help contribute is greatly appreciated. And you can also check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Peanuts comic and animated TV special needs. New episode drops on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Junior Pac-Man. Don't call me Junior. I hate it when you call me Junior. My name's Indiana. Wait, that might be something else. But really, the game we're playing is Junior Pac-Man. So tune in for that. And as always, until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.